Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 12. Genesis, chapter number 12 tonight. What a blessing it is to be with you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Genesis, chapter number 12. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Genesis, chapter number 12, verse number 1. This familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to most students of the Bible. Uh, this is uh, somewhat our introduction in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham is mentioned at the close of the prior chapter, but uh, this is the first time we in detail get to see some of his character and personality and decisions. And so let's uh, begin reading in verse number one. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. Word of God says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai's wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through under the land, uh, or through the land under the place of Sikkim, under the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai's wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. It came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Lord, let us not take it lightly. Let us not treat it cheaply. But, Father, let us approach unto your presence with our hearts set upon hearing from heaven tonight. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We have read tonight what is probably one of the darkest chapters in the life of the Old Testament patriarch Abraham. 
At this point in time, he's known as Abram, and of course his wife Sarah is known as Sarai. This is before God had changed their names. However, the work of faith had already begun in Abraham's life and in his heart and in his family. He had stepped out in the will of God and in the strength of the knowledge of that will, gone into a land that he did not know. Uh, we live in a day today, I'll just be honest with you, I don't even like to, to go on a trip or go on vacation without having a plan. Amen? Some of y'all probably like that, think it's spontaneous. I like to know where I'm going. I like to know what hotel I'm booked at or what, what uh, place that I'm headed to. I, I like to know what the GPS says. It's hard for me to imagine doing what Abraham did here, uh, but that's what he did. By faith, he stepped out. And he wasn't just going to a populated area to locate a hotel or a place to stay in. He was going into a place that was a wilderness. And he was going there not knowing even where he was going. He knew a direction, but he had no destination. And God said, I'll show you when you get there. Well, I love the way the Bible says it in verse number 5 at the end of it. It says, they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. By the faithfulness of God, by the promise of God, they found themselves right in the heartbeat, right in the center of God's will. I wish I could tell you that uh, Abraham's journeying ceased there. I wish I could tell you that he found the will of God, found the place of God, and, and planted himself there and, and never strayed any further. But sadly, the Bible says in verse number 10 that there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. There in verse number 10, what we effectively have in, in one little succinct nutshell, one little verse, is Abraham walking out of God's will for his life. And we begin to see some things unfold and some characteristics in Abraham's life that we can really see in your life or my life if we were to walk out of the will of God. There are some things that will be vastly different, uh, unique to each and every person's life situation. You know, it's sort of like getting saved. I mean, uh, you probably got saved in a different place than I did and probably at a different time of day and uh, probably under different circumstances, but there are certain things saved by the grace of God that'll be that'll be similar between your experience and my experience. If you got saved, you got saved by grace through faith. Amen. That's the only way to get saved. Uh, if you got saved, you knew you was a sinner because nobody gets saved without first acknowledging and recognizing the fact that they are a sinner. If you got saved, you repented of that life of sin and of that life of self-reliance because nobody gets saved without repenting, turning from dependence upon themselves and all that that entails and turning to the Savior. So there can be some things about the circumstances that are vastly different, but then there are certain qualities that are always going to be similar. And the same thing is true concerning getting out of the will of God. Uh, the will of God for your life, probably in some ways, uh, concerning the circumstances and details of it, will look different than the will of God for my life. And walking away from the will of God or out of the will of God might entail certain things in your life that it wouldn't entail in my life. Can I remind you that, uh, you know, uh, some uh, 50, 60, 150 years later, uh, Joseph would go into Egypt and it would be the will of God. So for him, it was the will of God to go into Egypt. In fact, the will and providence of God led him into Egypt. Uh, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, would follow his son Joseph into Egypt. And that was distinctly within the will of God. But for Abraham's life, going to Egypt meant walking out of the will of God. And, you know, one of the great fears we have is, uh, is it possible to walk out of the will of God and not realize that we're doing such a thing? And I would say to you tonight that to get out of the will of God is to exert our own will above God's will. And so I do not necessarily believe we can get out of the will of God and not be aware of it. Uh, but I do believe that we begin, once we take that initial step out of the will of God, 
we begin a, a, a pretty capable propaganda uh, campaign on ourselves, on our hearts, on our minds. Our flesh begins to try to quench the Holy Ghost. And we begin to convince ourselves that what we're doing is the right thing. You know, the most convincing lie you'll ever tell is the lie you tell yourself when you're getting out of the will of God. And I think in Abraham's situation, we can see certain qualities that it would be wise for you and I, as we make decisions in our life, to consider and ask ourselves uh, concerning the decisions that we make and the direction we're going. Certain things that we can look at and try to find, are we walking out of God's will in our life. So I notice a few of those, and I've really, I've got two thoughts tonight that I want to give to you. I, I want to talk to you for a moment about the indicators of leaving God's will. And then as we close, I want to say a quick word about the impact of leaving God's will. It's a risky thing going out of the will of God. In fact, I don't even know that risky is the right word because it is guaranteed heartbreak and sorrow and ruin, and we see that in Abraham's life. God deals with him in grace, but there are some things that Abraham uh, causes by leaving the will of God that he had to forever deal with. So let me say a word first tonight about the indicators of leaving God's will. And I notice four things here that we ought to look for in our life. As we're making decisions, we ought to ask ourselves questions concerning these things, and we ought to seek the mind and will of God. Notice verse number 8. The Bible says this about Abraham. He removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. This was not the first altar that Abraham had built. In fact, right when he gets into Canaan, he builds an altar. But this altar carried some significance because it would appear as though he built this altar. Uh, the, the Bible tells us he began to call upon the name of the Lord. This was a permanent fixture in Abraham's life. Evidently, Abraham intended on, on dwelling in this portion of the land until he got the mind of God about where to go elsewise. And, and this, we might say, it would be similar when a person moves to a new area. A lot of times they'll start visiting around. They'll try to find a church that's the will of God. And, and when they're looking, they're not just looking for a place to visit, man. They're looking for a place to plug in. And they want the will of God. And they, I hope this is true in your life and mine. And I trust that it is that we don't yoke up and join up until we believe we've found the will of God concerning our church home. One of the things we always tell people, they visit our church. And uh, most of the people in this room, if we visited you in the home after you visited, you heard me say this. We're praying for you to find the will of God. For your family, for your, uh, for your life. We don't just want you to be somewhere just because it's convenient. We want you to know and find the will of God. Well, I believe Abraham here, he felt like at that moment, at that period in time where he was, that was where God wanted him. So he built an altar there so he could have church. He built a place where he could worship God. Now, I want you to notice, the Bible says, verse number nine, and Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. This whole sordid tale unfolds, and we don't hear a single mention of an altar. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 3 of chapter 13, he went on his journeys from the south even unto Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. If I'm reading my Bible right, I believe that I am it would appear as though there wasn't a single sacrifice that Abram offered from when he left that place between Bethel and Hai until he came back to that place. There wasn't a single, far as we know, prayer that was prayed. 
There wasn't a single time of fellowship between him and God. He had left the place where he spent time with God. And that was when his trouble began. And his trouble did not end until he returned back to the place of worship with God. I would say this, when you're walking out of the will of God, a good indicator is when you begin to leave the altar. Leave the altar. If a decision that you're making results in you getting further from fellowship with God, it's a good indicator you're going the wrong direction. He left the place where he could meet with God. Now, somebody would say, well, preacher, uh, God can hear our prayers anywhere. That's true, but you notice he didn't pray any. Uh, Preacher, we can worship anywhere. That's true, but you notice he didn't worship, did he? See, the fact is, when you're walking away from the will of God, you're walking away from the worship of God. And that's what Abraham did. He walked out. He didn't, as far as we know, he didn't visit a single altar between that point in verse number 9 when he left that altar and in verse number 3 and 4 of chapter 13 when he came back to it, he had left the altar. We ought to be very careful when we find ourselves growing cold and indifferent to God's dealing in our lives. I, I, I don't guess I ever say this. I was going to say I rarely say this. I don't imagine I ever really say this, but I'm getting ready to say it right now. Uh, and I trust that people in the house of God on a Wednesday night, you've got enough spiritual maturity to understand my intent and my spirit in saying this. But how long has it been since you've been to an altar? How long has it been since you've dealt with God? How long has it been since God's dealt with you? <laughs> how long has it been since you've bowed your, your heart and head before and done serious business with God? It's a dangerous thing when we leave the altar. Not only when you leave the altar, but look at verse number 10. The Bible says there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Four. Now, that's a causative word, right? Four. In other words, based upon the existence of this famine, or based upon his actions before, it's going to give a reason for why he went into the land of Egypt. For the famine was grievous in the land. He was led into Egypt, not by faith, but by fear. And I would say this, that one of the indicators you're leaving God's will is when you leave the altar. Another is when you're led by anxiety in your decision making. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are all kinds of things we're anxious about in life. And certainly I think that wisdom behooves us to have a healthy fear of certain consequences and, and eventualities if we make certain decisions in life. But it ought to be that we're always moving towards the will of God and not away from the things that give us anxiety. It ought to be that we're always, and you've heard me say this before, rarely do you trip when you're running to something. It's usually when you're running from something. And it ought to be that the decisions that we're making in our life, we're not making them because we're fearful of the consequences otherwise, but rather because we believe resolutely that it's the will and mind of God for us to make those decisions. When you begin to move and operate from a place of fear, you're setting yourself up for bad decisions. You know why? Because only God can can bolster your faith. The devil can scare you. He can scare you. But only only God can increase your faith. If, if, If faith is the metric by which you make the decisions that you make in life, I'm talking about illumination of God. I'm talking about God speaking to your heart and speaking to your mind. Then you're always going to be safe in your decisions because God will always lead you aright. But the devil can scare you. So if fear is your motivator, then you set yourself up for the possibility of failure. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says this, And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai's wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. 
Therefore it shall come to pass that when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. Let me say that one of the indicators you're leaving God's will is when you leave the altar, when you are led by anxiety. But I would say this, when you begin leading others astray, that's a good indicator that you're getting out of the will of God. When accomplishing your goals requires you to be less than honest, when accomplishing your ambitions requires you to encourage others to do wrong, to do unrighteously, to do wickedly, go ahead and mark it down that you're probably headed out of the will of God and not into the heart and center of it. Abraham tells Sarah, says, they're going to kill me when they see how beautiful you are. I don't know if he was trying to score points or what. Amen. I just don't know. Maybe she was that good looking, you know, at 60 something years old. It's it's possible. Amen. But they uh, whatever his reasoning was, what it produced was him commanding his wife to do something unrighteous, to do something wicked. Now, he had direct authority over her. Somebody would say, well, preacher, what should she have done? I think she should have entreated the Lord. And I think she should have let the Lord deliver her from that bad counsel and that bad leadership. And I believe God probably would have done that. But at the end of the day, the greater burden, the greater responsibility, the greater guilt and culpability lies upon Abram because he was the head of the home and he was commanding his wife to do something that was unrighteous. It's shocking how often that we will gain such tunnel vision, we'll put blinders on when we have our heart set upon some matter in our life. And it's amazing the people will step on to accomplish what we want to accomplish. It's amazing the things that very often have been confirmed in our heart and our mind as truth. We've been taught from a young child. We've seen it through the truth of the Word of God. It's amazing the things that we will dismiss and disregard in pursuit of something that we have become fixated upon. And very often, I've seen it in my life and you've seen it in your life, uh, no doubt people that when they start going the wrong way, they start encouraging others to go the wrong way. Very rarely do people like to get out of the will of God alone. Most of the time, they want to bring people with them. There's a scant few uh, exceptions to that in Scripture. I can think of Jonah. I don't believe Jonah wanted to take anyone with him. Uh, but, But most of the time, when people are getting out of the will of God, they usually want a crowd to go with them because it makes them feel better about the decisions that they're making. And if they can include other people in that guilt and that culpability, uh, then they believe that they're not alone in their decision. And that confirms and reaffirms and, and shores up their conviction that they're doing the right thing because often they're trying to convince themselves more than they're trying to convince anyone else. So if getting out of the will of God causes you to lead others astray, that's a good indication. If your decisions cause you to lead others astray, that's a good indication that you're getting out of the will of God. Look at the end of verse number 13. We'll read the entirety of the verse. He says, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. Now, why did he say that? He said that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because thee. Think about the context here. I mean, Abraham is a man that he has left everything based on the promise of God. He has gone out into the wilderness, essentially, with nothing but God's promise, but he believes that's sufficient. But now all of a sudden, he's let this famine scare him, and he's going down into Egypt, and he is looking to the lies and deceit of his wife to shield and protect him from the violence of the men of Egypt. I would say this, when you're leaning amiss, that's a good indication that you're getting out of the will of God. Now, we all have certain um, 
how should I say this, externalities of life that God uses to meet our needs and that we look to. I mean, I, you know, there, there, I believe God is my shield. Amen. I still lock my doors at night. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's hypocritical. I don't think it's counterintuitive. There are certain things God has provided for us as means of, uh, of, of affecting His promises and, and, and His watch care in our life. And I'm not necessarily saying we ought to live a life of cavalier recklessness and then dare God to, to keep us safe. But I think what He's doing here is a pretty clear example. He's scared and He's saying, honey, you protect me. Instead of saying, God, you protect us. You can believe what you want. They should have never been in Egypt in the first place. But I believe if, 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 if Abraham had liked the prodigal son came to himself in that moment and realized he was out of the will of God, but now here he is in the middle of it and he doesn't know what to do. I believe if he had looked towards heaven and said, God, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to lie to these people. I'm not going to ask Sarah to lie to these people. And I'm going to trust you. And I know you're my shield and my exceeding great reward. And I'm going to believe that you can protect me. I believe God would have protected him. Instead, he creates a mess for himself because he's trusting in others to do what God should be doing for him. So I see some indicators that you're leaving the will of God. But think with me for a brief moment about the impact of leaving God's will. So Abraham and and Sarah, they go down into Egypt and and he tells her to lie. She does lie, but, uh, you know, you can't get away from God. (laughs) And uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes known. Uh, to Abraham, to Pharaoh, God sends plagues upon Pharaoh, and he knows, he knows it must be because something is wrong, and, and God reveals to Pharaoh that, uh, that Sarah is Abraham's wife. And so Pharaoh, obviously, uh, infuriated, obviously angry at what has transpired, he commands Abraham to get out of the country and, uh, and to never come back anymore. What was affected because Abraham got out of the will of God? You know, no man's an island unto himself. The decisions we make always affect other people. Can I give you just as a little reinforcing point? Can I give you another Old Testament example? When Elimelech decided he wanted to go down to Moab, he didn't go by himself. He, he, he took Naomi, he took Malon and Chilion, he took his family with him, and before it was all said and done, there's three graves in Moab that shouldn't have been there. Naomi is a, is a bitter and, and battered woman that is, that, that has been tossed about by life. She's angry at God, she says God's forgotten. All this happened because Elimelech made the decision to get out of the will of God. You see, what we do has far-reaching impact. And yes, God can turn it for good. God can turn it for good. But that does not mean that we do not create a lot of bad in our decision to get out of the will of God. I thought about three just simple things. We're not going to look at a lot of scripture here, but I just want to mention to you three areas that I think are worth thinking about when we get out of the will of God. And I'm going to say it this way. The impact of leaving God's will. Think with me first off about what you bring into Egypt with you. You don't go in there by yourself. You don't walk out of the will of God on your own. There are things that you carry with you. First off, I thought about uh, Abraham's legacy. You know, later on, the Egyptians would have a deep and abiding hatred of the Israelites that would lead to them enslaving the Israelites. But even prior to that, I mean, you can look at the life of Joseph 450 years before Moses shows up. When Joseph gets there and rises to prominence, there's already sort of a, a, a bad opinion about Egypt or about Israelites in the mind of Egyptians. Wonder where that came from. Could it be that 
All they knew of, of Israelites was, was that they were deceitful, that they were dishonest, that they didn't listen to God, that they brought curses upon the people whose houses uh, that they dwelled in and the people that took them in. After all, that's what happened whenever Abraham went down there. That's what happened when Isaac went down there. Why would it be any different later on? I'm saying this, you have a testimony. You have a legacy. I wish I could tell you the story of Abraham's life without this part, but I cannot and be scripturally honest. Part of his legacy is this season out of the will of God. He saw it. Everybody saw it. Not only your legacy, but your loved ones. We know Sarah's mentioned by name. And I think if if I'm reading my Bible correctly, the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 5, when they're coming up out of Egypt, that Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. It sounds like Lot was probably in Egypt with him as well. Can I remind you, when you get out of the will of God, you're taking your loved ones with you. Now, some of you say, well, preacher, I, you know, I'm not a father, I, I'm not a husband, or, or whatever it might be, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a wife, or, or, you know, I, I'm a child, I don't, oh, listen, you take people's hearts with you out of the will of God. I, I, listen, you take, you say, well, you know, I, it's my life, I'll do what I want. No, listen, it's not your life. People love you. People care about you. You walk out of the will of God and you tote their heart behind you when you go. And you affect them. And you hurt them. I think about Sarah. You know, before this moment, according to Scripture, we know of no carnality in her personality. She becomes a very carnal person. She becomes a person that struggles with faith. She becomes a person that tries to affect the will of God through her own means. But prior to this moment, we have no indication of Sarah being that type of person. Could it be she picked up on some of this behavior when she was down in Egypt? Lot, whose obsession with the ways and wealth of the world would lead to his ruin, we have no reason to believe that he was obsessed with money or wealth prior to this moment. They go into Egypt and everything we know about them prior to this to this moment in Abraham's history, we know nothing bad out of them. And then they come out of Egypt and immediately we see problems begin. One of the quick ways to make shipwreck of your family is to take them out of the will of God. And man, it does not take long. It does not take long. So I thought about what you bring into Egypt. I thought about what you leave behind you in Egypt. And I sort of preached on this. I'm not going to dwell on it. But again, look at verse number 17. The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. That was the memory they had of Abraham. When God would bring him to great wealth and great prominence, when he would become a great regional figure uh, some years later and, and, and God would begin to increase the family of the Israelites, Pharaoh, for his part, the only opinion, he, he had a bitter taste because his only interactions with Abraham were negative interactions. We take our life as a composite. We do. We look at our life and we measure it in the full knowledge of who we are day in and day out. But has it ever dawned on you that there's people that all they know of you is the passing interactions that take place day in and day out? There's people you're going to... Next time you go to the Walmart, there's people you're going to meet that you're going to come across. And what you are in that moment is all they're going to know you to ever be. They won't get to, uh, you won't get to say, well, I'm sorry, I wasn't at my best. Well, I'm sorry, I, I've been going through some stuff. Well, I'm sorry, my, uh, you know, I, I've made some bad decisions. All they're going to know is you in that moment. And that's the lasting impression that they'll ever have of you. Same thing's true about our Christian testimony. People that know we're a Christian, it, it only takes one thing, one thing to wreck our testimony. And that's what he left. He left a bitter taste, but he left a bad testimony. 
a bad testimony. It should have been, he should have never been in Egypt. But if he had been in Egypt under the auspices of God's will or if he had, uh, if he had repented and got his heart right while he was in Egypt, he could have left a good testimony. He could have showed Pharaoh that God loves his people and speaks to his people and safeguards them and protects them and blesses them and watches over them. But instead, he leaves the testimony that the first man ever, ever in the Old Testament, the first man ever recorded to pray is recorded for us here to be out of the will of God. I'm saying that Abraham is a central figure in the Old Testament narrative. But for Pharaoh, all he knew about him was that he was a scoundrel and a liar. I thought about what you leave behind you. But then I thought about, and I'm going to say this and be done, I thought about what you bring with you out of Egypt. It ain't just what you take into Egypt. It ain't just what you leave behind you. But there's some things you bring out of Egypt with you. There's some things when you get right that come back with you. That you have to tote the rest of your life. I thought about, first off, the riches that he brought out of Egypt. Now, somebody's going to say, wait a minute, preacher. I've always thought it was a great indication of the providence of God that God used this season in Abraham's life when he's out of the will of God. God still uses it to prosper Abram. And it's true, he did. Abram came out of Egypt a richer man than he went into Egypt. Can I ask you this? Did he come out of it a better man, though? Look with me in chapter number 13. Look down to verse 5. The Bible says this, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Now, you know the story, if you're a student of your Bible, it is this very moment in which Abram and, and Lot part company. And, and Abram looks at Lot and says, Well, we've got to go two different ways. Our herdsmen are at strife with one another. we got too much stuff. And this stuff is keeping us from being able to get along and live close together. He's going to say, I'll tell you what, Lot, you pick whichever direction you want to go and I'll take whatever's left. And Lot said, I want the well-watered plains of Jordan, even though they're near Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's ruin begins at this moment. I would say you could even rewind a little further. Lot's ruin begins back in Egypt when Pharaoh piles up Abraham's carts with treasures and when Pharaoh yokes up and ties up big old strings of livestock, herds of sheep and cattle and camels, and gives to Abraham. In fact, the ruin of Abraham's family, lots particularly, but, but Abraham's too, begins and is rooted in the wealth that he brings back out of Egypt. In other words, that thing that you're going into Egypt for, because that's what he was going, he wasn't going in to get rich, but he was going in so that he'd survive. He was going in because there was more wealth in Egypt than there was in Canaan. It could be that that very thing that you get out of the will of God chasing is the very thing that leads to the destruction of your home and of your spiritual walk. I think about the riches, but then there's a fascinating verse that I think we very often overlook in the context. This is over in chapter 16, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Now again, a student of the Bible knows who Hagar is. Hagar is the one with whom Abraham, in a lapse of faith, 
uh, fathers uh, the, the boy Ishmael. And Ishmael goes on to be a, a great adversary and an enemy against the people of Israel. And this was one of Satan's attempts. You'll find several of them through Scripture. When Satan sought to, to derail the messianic promise given in Genesis 3.15, God had promised that it would be the seed of the woman. It would be the descendant of, of, of Adam and Eve, that there would be a particular seed, a lineage that would lead to the Messiah. To this day, there's a billion people walking around that believe Ishmael was the promised child and not Isaac. And that was one of Satan's attempts to try to muddy the waters, to try to create and foster confusion. And it all began when Sarai brought a handmaiden out of Egypt. There was a relationship formed there that led their family astray. You know, very often when we get out of the will of God, guess what happens? We make friends with people that are out of the will of God. We make friends with the wrong crowd. I'm all for reaching people, uh, but not at the destruction of my family. I, I'm sorry. I hate I hate to say it that way. I hope it don't sound cruel, but if it's a choice between some other kid and my kids, I choose my kids. If it's a choice between some other marriage and my marriage, I choose my marriage. If it's a choice between the, the well-being of somebody else's wife and the well-being of my wife, I choose my wife. I, I'm not trying to be cold, but God has given me charge and stewardship over them. And not over other people. Not in the same way. And very often when we get out of the will of God, those relationships, man, I could tell you story after story. And Just to be honest, it wouldn't edify. It'd shock, but it wouldn't edify. Of marriages destroyed because the relationships built when people got out of the will of God. Of children that went to the devil because of relationships that were built when families got out of the will of God. I'm telling you this, just as no man's an island unto himself, you get out of the will of God, and those other people ain't islands too, pretty soon you'll start yoking up. You'll start having friendships and relationships and interactions with people that God's children have no business being that close to. I know we need to reach sinners, hey, but Paul still said, be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's true about marriage, but I think it's true about a lot of things, Brother Ken. I don't think it's just true about marriage. I, I, that, that don't mean we uh, should uh, you know, not shop at the Walmart because some unregenerate person works there. But I do think it means that we ought not build the relationships of our life with people that don't know the God that we know and serve. You get out of the will of God, there'll be relationships that you bring back. It's a dangerous thing. It's a devastating thing. So we better make sure we're in the heart and center of the will of God. Preacher, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? Well, let me tell you a shortcut. You ready? You could have probably just, if I told you this, you could have walked out 20 minutes ago. Let me tell you a shortcut. You know the best way? Get your heart on the altar. Lord, show me your will. Crucify your ambitions and, and, and your desires. I don't mean God won't let you have any of those. But go ahead and crucify them. Lay them on the altar. Say, Lord, I just want what you want. And put your heart surrendered unto him. And, you know, I believe he'll show you his will. I believe he'll lead you in his way. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. And if God's touched your heart, I, I do hope you'll respond just immediately. You don't have to wait for a note to be played. Uh, if you wait a few seconds, the devil might get to victory over you. He might, he might bully you into not moving. So if he's dealt with you, if God's dealt with you, go ahead and respond in obedience unto the Lord. Father, I love you, and I thank you for your word. Bless your people tonight. With obedience unto you, we ask it in Christ's name with our heads.